What's going on, family? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Genius Foods. On this episode of the show, I'm super excited to introduce you to my good friend, Elisa Vitti. Elisa is a women's hormone and functional nutrition expert and a pioneer in female biohacking. That's right, female biohacking. She's the best-selling author of Woman Code, and her new book, In the Flow, just came out. So I'm super excited to get into the nitty-gritty of what that is, what female biohacking is all about, and so much more. You guys are really going to enjoy this episode of the show. I'm uh, coming to you right now from deep Michigan. I am in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I came out yesterday for a talk in Ann Arbor. Unfortunately, it was not a public event, so otherwise I would have told you guys about it. But um, now I'm in Grand Rapids for another one tomorrow, and then tomorrow night I go back to L.A., and I'm super excited because Michigan is cold, and uh, I don't know anybody here, so it's just me in my big corporate hotel room recording this. But I'm excited because Elisa, who you're about to hear from, is the bomb. She's a good friend of mine, and um, she's a very insightful uh, and brilliant chick. So strap on your seatbelt. And uh, get ready to take notes, if that's your thing. Well, before we get to it, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode of the show, and that is Four Sigmatic. I've slowly begun adding coffee back into my life, which is great because I freaking love uh, coffee, although I don't always love the the way that it makes me feel. Um, But I've decided to reframe my relationship with it and uh, use it um, more deliberately, uh, particularly in the pre-workout setting and only the minimal effective dose, so just a small amount of caffeine, um, and not every single day, So, and not multiple times a day. So that's a much different relationship with coffee than what I used to have where I was drinking it every single day and multiple times a day sometimes. So uh, these days I'm drinking my Four Sigmatic Lion's Mane coffee, which is great. It makes me feel productive without jitters or a crash, and it only has about 45 milligrams of caffeine. So that is not a lot of caffeine. That's about uh, half to a third um, of the caffeine in a normal cup of coffee. So it's a, it's a very controlled dose. I dig it. And uh, Lion's Mane is an, is an amazing medicinal mushroom. It supports focus, productivity, and creativity. And their Lion's Mane uh, coffee also includes chaga, which is, quote-unquote, the king of mushrooms. It is purported to support your immune system um, and possess antioxidant properties and the like. So uh, I recommend checking out Four Sigmatic's coffees if you drink coffee. Um, they also have uh, coffee-free elixirs. All you got to do is go to foursigmatic.com slash max or use promo code max, and you'll get to save 15% off of anything that you buy at foursigmatic.com. So check them out. Now I'm excited to chat with Elisa, but before we do, guys, please take a moment to support The Genius Life. You can do that by leaving a rating and review for the show on iTunes, like Savannah Lynn, who wrote... Favorite podcast ever. Max, you are awesome. I've been listening to you for over a year, and I've learned so much, and I appreciate your logical and reasonable approach to health issues. Keep up the awesome work, and a genius life to me is a life that feels fulfilling and light every day. Savannah, I love that you included what you believe to be a genius life. That is, um, uh, I'm super glad that, uh, that you are living the genius life and that I could play um, some role in that. That really means a lot to me. To all you guys out there, I appreciate you. Um, The other way that you can support The Genius Life is by going to maxlugavere.com and by joining my newsletter. 
All you got to do to join my newsletter is enter your first and last name, and I'm going to send you, just for doing that, a list of 10 supplements that you can potentially use to boost your brain function. Um, being on my mailing list is uh, a really cool way to hear about my latest projects and um, speaking events if I'm coming to a town near you or science that I think has the potential to change your life or products that I think um, you ought to try. Uh, I'm never too pushy, at least I hope not. Um, I don't think I'm pushy at all, but you know, I like to, uh, I like to bring you guys along for with me for the journey, and um, I like to try out different kinds of products, and I'm very lucky that I get to do that, and uh, whenever I get the opportunity to extend the discount to you guys, I do so, and the mailing list is the best way to uh, get access to those discounts. So mailing list, leave a rating review for the show on iTunes, and of course, spread the word about what we're doing here. I would really appreciate it. Um, and then finally, you guys, I now have a phone number that you can use to text me and join my text community. I have been on a rampage just answering text messages left and right. Uh, I don't give medical advice, so don't ask me for uh, advice for your medical condition, but um, let me know what you think about this show or any other, and um, you could just say hi also. That's cool too. So that number to join my text message community is, where is it? It is 310 310- 299-9401. If you live in the U.S. or Canada, text me at 310-299-9401, and uh, we will be in touch. Yeah, all right, so I'm excited to get on with the show with Elisa Vitti. She's um, super smart. Oh, she's also the creator of the MyFlow Period app, which a lot of ladies are digging, and uh, that's a big deal. She created an app that is the first and only functional medicine period tracker designed to help users eliminate symptoms and schedule their lives according to their cycles. So you're going to learn why this is so cool over the course of the next episode, but at the very least, and something that even I, somebody who knows very little about women's health, um, can tell you based on that app is that it tells you when you can get it on in a way that is safe without having to use hormonal birth control, which we all know... um, has uh, some downsides. So, yeah, my Flow Period app, and her new book is called In the Flow, and she's super smart, and I love her. And all right, without further ado, here's Elisa. Elisa Vidi, thank you so much for being with me on the Genius Life. I'm so happy to be here, Max. Thanks for having me. This is sort of a long time coming because you and I, we've spent some time together, quality time in the back of a cab. In uh, at South by Southwest in Austin, <laughs> and you, at dinner, <laughs> and at dinner we had that that wonderful dinner, and yeah. um, you give me like uh, every time we we reconnect, which is not super frequently, not it's not as frequently as I would like, but you always give me like the best relationship advice. No, it's my little known secret superpowers relationship advice. <laughs> Maybe it'll be the next book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm excited to talk about your new book in the flow because I know that you're super passionate about this topic and you're very much a, like a leader in the field in terms of thinking and talking about how women can, um, you know, harness their monthly cycle and, and, and all the knowledge that's out there that you certainly, you know, put forward to um, make their monthly cycle less of a burden and more of, of an empowering um, aspect of their lives. So, yeah, let's like talk about it and, you know, and, and get to the whys and the hows and the whats. 
Why'd you write this book? All the details. Yeah. I wrote this book because after I put out the MyFlow app, what I noticed, I mean, it was, women were really taking to this concept um, of the cycle thinking method, which is the methodology I created to help women live, eat, work out, and, and manage their time according to the four phases of their cycle. And I just thought that watching over the, the two years from the app's launch uh, to me writing this book was just this movement on social media, women uh, living this methodology, um, hundreds and of thousands of women, you know, really taking to this and having the transformation that I know is possible. And I thought, you know, I want to write that plus the South by Southwest keynote. Uh, that was kind of a, a moment for me because I, I'm always surprised that like I'm the first doing something like that. You know, like I was the first female biohacker in the history of South by Southwest. And I just thought, whoa, I can't believe that because there's so many brilliant women in the women's health space. And, you know, it's like how I felt when I went on Dr. Oz. I was like, I can't believe I'm the first woman ever to go on TV and talk about period blood color. And it's just like a surprise to me. So I said, you know, let me write the definitive guide to... Um, how women have this second biological rhythm that governs six major systems of the body and and really make this just so scientifically um, solid that every woman feels confident to start shifting her paradigm to one that's based on her biological reality versus what we're all doing now, which is basing our self-care on um, research and trends that are actually done on men and better suited to male biology. And, you know, for me, when I've, you know, I've been doing women's health in my company, Flow Living, for almost 20 years, and I don't know about you, but when I look around the landscape now versus, you know, even 10 years ago, there's wellness, wellness everywhere, but women are sicker than ever before. You know, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely um, shocking to me to just see that over 50% of women struggle with their hormones, you know, but yet we have more information now than we ever had about what we should do, more articles, more websites, more health, but women are sicker. Um, you know, uh, women are, 60% of women are sexually unsatisfied. 90% um, of moms feel exhausted all the time. 54% of women are unhappy at work. You know, women are gaining weight. They're not, they're just, everything's a mess. And I, I'm a systems thinker. So I looked at that, Max, and I said, what is the real root cause of this? You know, why are all of these disparate areas of life not working for women? And the answer was just so clear. From a chronobiological point of view, we are ignoring a biological rhythm that governs absolutely all of these aspects of our lives, and we're not basing any of our self-care, our time management, our fitness, our diet around that biological rhythm, and that's why we, are, we have statistics like that. That's why we're not feeling good. That's why we don't have enough energy. That's why our moods are all over the place. That's why we're not having the fitness results that we want. Um, it all come it all comes down to that so this is fascinating because you know i think we often hear about circadian rhythms you know the the rhythm that governs our day um which you know women are certainly under the influence of men are under the influence of mm -hmm. um but that women have this this sort of other clock overlaying their lives the infradian clock i mean that is a mind-blowing concept 
Yeah. And I think, you know, what I'm hoping women really understand is just like we know how essential it is to take care of our circadian clocks now, right? We know we should wear our blue light blocking glasses. We know we should try to see the sunrise a couple times a week. We know we should go to bed. We know that these things, if we don't take care of them, can lead to major disease. We've had, you know, decades worth of study proving that. Um, the Nobel Prize was awarded in 2018 to the two geneticists who figured out which gene, you know, controls the circadian clock. It's we're really invested in protecting our circadian rhythm, and that is a good thing. And it's an excellent precedent for why we also need to con- to support and nourish this infradian clock um, that we just have never had a name for before. And that that's a challenge, but it's one that we can now overcome, right? When we don't have a name for something. I mean, if you think maybe 20 years ago, um, when Eve Ensler wrote the vagina monologues, right? Part of the big splash of her writing that book was that we started calling our parts by their correct anatomical names, as opposed to all the silly names that we used to call them. Mm. Um, And I think similarly here, we don't have a name for something. We can't value it. We can't take it seriously. And we think that we don't have to do anything. But it does have a name, although let me tell you, it's not. It was not an easy name to discover. I mean, all the years I've been reading textbooks, and you know, it's never come. Ac- I've never come across it. Wow. Um, and I and I uncovered it in a little chronobiological uh, bit of you know research that I was doing, and there it was. Um, and I think that we all should know that we have a circadian clock, all of us, but that women from puberty till their very last bleed um, have a second clock called the infradian clock that governs six key systems of the body um, and probably more, but the six that we spent that I spent a lot of time focusing on the book, um, you know, obviously the reproductive system, but the brain system the microbiome, the metabolism, the immune system, and the stress response system. So basically, it kind of runs your life. And when you know that it's doing that, it obviously then makes just as much sense as you know to wear your blue light blocking glasses and to go to bed at the right times, etc., that you would want to orient your self-care, organize your fitness, your diet, your time, the things you're working on according to what is going to optimize the performance of this infradian rhythm so that these six systems of your body can perform optimally. And what's nice, myself, having lived you know, this method for, for a long time now, supporting my infradian clock, you know, I can, I can certainly attest to how beneficial it is, you know, because when we think about biohacking um, for women, it's, it's a whole different game. You know, sometimes when I hear the word biohacking, depending on context, it it can make me shudder. But I think it's so appropriate in this case. And I love that you've sort of um, that you've co-opted it because, you know, the the infradian clock and correct me if I'm wrong, it it has a prerogative, right? Like it's meant to optimize the reproductive window, that four decade long window in a woman's life when she can when she is most, I guess, fertile. Right. And it has. Influences. Well, it's not just that. It's 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 there to help protect your heart. It's he- there to help protect your brain function. Um, what what happens with your infradian clock and its um, inf- influence on the system of these other six systems of your body will absolutely affect how you age. Will protect against the, the four big diseases of inflammation, cancer, diabetes, dementia, uh, heart disease. Right. So, pr- taking care of your infradian clock while it's active allows you to 
be taken care of. It pays dividends, you know, yeah. after it's after it's not working anymore. It's amazing. But it also like you can, you know, I've had a discussion in the past where it's like being able to untether yourself from those biological uh, Im imperatives um, provides a lot of freedom, I think, for women. Right. And to and to also know how to optimize each phase of that of the cycle. Yeah, I, I think you know, we, we definitely typically feel like the cycle is this burdensome experience <laughs> and that we're supposed to feel bad the second half of the cycle. But, you know, in the book, I really go into excruciating detail on why that's not the case for these different systems of the body so that you know for a fact that if you're feeling moody and bloated and fatigued in the second half of your cycle, it's because you've done something that is out of sync with your infradian clock in the first half of your cycle. Here's an example. Let's say um, you are somebody who loves to work out and you are a big believer in the high intensity interval training methodology, right? Which is a really good one. And you do that pretty much consistently week over week. Like regardless of where you are in your cycle, you just do high intensity interval training. And you notice that no matter what, let's say you're trying to lose five pounds, but no matter what, at the end of every month, you make no weight loss gains, right? You, you are not, there's no delta in your weight. The reason that that is happening is because you're doing high intensity interval training in the second half of your cycle. And when you do that, you turn on fat storage and you turn on muscle wasting. Hmm. So, and you're going to jack up cortisol which is going to steal from your progesterone, which is going to make your PMS worse, and you're going to have all those symptoms. So not only are you going to retain fat or maybe even gain weight, but you're going to then exacerbate the reproductive cycle. So you're messing with your metabolic system and you're messing with your reproductive system as well because you're not organizing your fitness the way that your body wants you to based on your actual biology. Hmm. So, And there's a reason, right? We want to work out more intensely in the first half of the cycle because the metabolism is actually slower. So you can push yourself more, you need less calories, and you'll get that nice delta of high intensity interval training, lower calories equals weight loss and muscle gain. But in the second half of the cycle, the metabolism speeds up, you need more calories, and there's more cortisol present. So you want to do just basic strength training without a cardio component and stretching like, you know, yoga, Pilates, that kind of thing, walking. And that's what will give you the weight loss. That's amazing. So, okay, for, for myself and the other, you know, for 50% of the listeners who are male, um, you know, there's like the first half of the cycle, second half of the cycle. What are the, can you go through each phase of the cycle and sure. then maybe describe, you know, in your research, what you've discovered to be the optimal um, exercise modalities for each for each of those phases? Sure. So the four phases are the follicular phase, the ovulatory phase, the luteal phase, and the menstrual phase or the bleeding phase, because I find it very confusing that the language is so imprecise. It's like the whole menstrual cycle, but then it's the menstrual phase. You know, the fact that we lack actual specific distinct vocabulary to reference our biological experience is not ideal. So, you know, just call it the bleeding week. <laughs> <laughs> and then the whole thing is the menstrual cycle. Um, 
the the ovulatory phase and the bleeding phase are pretty you know everybody seems to understand what those are the follicular phase is the is the 7 days 7 to 10 days after the bleed is done where the egg is sort of preparing itself to mature and then during ovulation the mature egg is released the luteal phase is the longest phase of the cycle 10 to 14 days um and this is where um you know the lining of the uterus is held in place until we are certain that there isn't a conception that has taken place and the the hormones recede in concentration and the lining is shed and that takes the longest um that any other part of the cycle does um so these four phases happen in a healthy hormonal person predictably with regularity and it's something you can plan on i think we have a lot of uh, cultural narrative that says like the luteal phase and the menstrual phase which we refer to as the second half of the cycle are you know it's just like you're you're gone you're those two weeks are a wash you're gonna feel bad you're gonna like you know do your best to survive them but the science that i lay out in 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 the flow really tells a different story. You know, um, it really, if in fact, nature has designed women to feel good each of the four phases um, and that these phases provide us with specific gifts is just so incredible, right? So for example, how does this infradian rhythm, which we experience as the, as the 28-day cycle, how does this affect our brain system? Well, for example, your brain changes up to 25% over the course of the month. So you are cognitively and like creatively a different person in each of these four phases. And that's so exciting. And I know that I organize my entire work life around these predictable creative shifts hmm. because it allows me to amplify and optimize, you know, like when I talk about biohacking, this is an example of me biohacking my creativity. I'm not changing what is there. And I'd love to go back and explain what I mean by biohacking. But, um, you know, I'm not trying to change or compensate for anything that I perceive as missing. I'm just working with the, the, the shifts that are already taking place in my brain system across this infradian rhythm and using them to my advantage in a work environment, right? So for example, two weeks ago when I was in my ovulation phase, I've scheduled that week to record my audiobook because the verbal and social centers of my brain are being massively stimulated by the influx of estrogen that's surging at that time. And it was such a pleasure and effortless for me to sit down and record a 400 page book in a week, right? So, you know, but if I had scheduled that at a different phase of the cycle, of course I could have done it because you can do anything you want during any phase, but it might have just felt more like an effort. And what, you know, the whole idea of why I called the book In the Flow is that if you work with the infradian rhythm and these different phases of your cycle and plan for things um, around them, every, you can architect a peak flow state. You know, so Tony Robbins talks about a flow state that um, I can never pronounce his last name, the Michali. Um, he wrote that book about flow with hmm. a W. Um, you know, this idea that, you know, athletes, for example, will get into a peak flow state because they practice over and over again. Um, and then when it comes time to perform there, they have that flow. Well, my experience living in harmony with my infradian rhythm for the better part of two decades is that that's the state I'm in as a normal baseline, right? Because I'm not ever doing things that are out of sync with what my biology wants to be doing. And so I just, I'm like 
architecting these peak flow states all the time. And it's really fun because when I don't, when I let something happen where I know it's a little out of sync, I really notice the difference of like, hmm. I'm like, oh God, why would anybody live this other way if they could just, you know, get in their flow? It becomes so much easier. Everything in your life is less efforted. Yeah. How, so how does this work for people who, I mean, obviously you and I are kind of like entrepreneurs in the sense that we get to like literally architect our schedules in accordance with whatever leanings we have, whether that's the infradian cycle or just... Well, in your case, the circadian cycle, In right? my <laughs> case, it's just all circadian, yeah. But um, for people that have like jobs, you know, I mean, like women that wow. are that, that have like desk jobs, they're thrust into this patriarchal uh, world where amen, there's just... Brother. Amen, right? Um, but yeah, I'm just thinking... How do out, they do it? I'm just thinking out for my sisters who have, you know, who yes. have like desk jobs who can't necessarily plan their presentation deck you know, creativity around like their, their flow. So I am, I love that you brought that question up because I go into corporations all the time and teach female teams in a corporate environment, which yes, is predicated on the male hormonal pattern, right? Um, so circadian rhythm mimics, it just so happens that male hormonal pattern is a 24 hour cycle. So even though it's not well, anyway, it, it's similar to the circadian rhythm. We won't go into detail there. But of course, all of corporate culture is predicated on that pattern. So for example, you, your desire to get up in the morning as a man and like do lots of stuff first thing in the morning, whether that's physical activity, sex, or work, right? All of that is driven by two of your key hormones, testosterone and cortisol, which are surging in the morning. And then your desire to maybe more socialize later in the afternoon is because testosterone and cortisol are receding, making you more sensitive to your estrogen, and that has different effects on your ability to interact with people. So the whole corporate culture is set up on that. And of course, that doesn't work really well for women, especially as they go through these different cycle phases. So one of the things I love doing is helping women really understand that they can go without having to change corporate culture, simply by changing their self-awareness of where they are in their cycle and where they are with their infradian rhythm. They can change what they're working on. They can change how they're doing their self-care. They can change all the inputs that they're doing personally that then optimize their performance, whether they can, let's say, you know, if you have a deadline that's, uh, let's say, if you do a presentation and it's your bleeding week, right? And you'd rather do it during ovulation, but it's your bleeding week and it's due. Because you've taken care of your infradian clock and you're, t you're doing the cycle syncing process all throughout the month, by th you're not going to have this huge energy crash and, you know, cognitive dissonance that a lot of women experience during their, their menstrual phase. Um, and so you'll you'll shine during your presentation. Um, I gave my TED talk and got married while I was bleeding, and that didn't hold me back in any way. Like you can do anything bleeding. This is like not a problem. It's the how your how your energy is being managed throughout the month that is going to have you feel like you fall off the energy cliff or not. How? And I think. Yeah. Sorry. sorry how, while we're on the topic, like, how much would you encourage? To what degree would you encourage women to to talk? about this in the workplace? I mean, well, I, I love that. I actually say that in the book. I'm like, listen, 
men do not walk around being like, hey, my testosterone's peaking, let's bang out this meeting or let's get this project mapped out, that you guys don't announce it as a thing to each <laughs> other, right? It's, you, it's, it's um, just a tacit kind of social construct that we just all like work with. And I'm asking for the same thing to happen for women. I don't want us to be given any special or different treatment. I actually want the same exact treatment that the dudes are getting in the boys' <laughs> culture. I just want us to create our own cu cultural narrative, which is, you know, hey, I'm having, I'm in whatever phase I'm in. That's my business to manage. I don't need to announce that to anybody as long as I'm doing what works for me, right? I'm eating in a way that supports this particular phase. I'm doing the right exercise. I've organized my projects to the best of my ability for the ones I can control in accordance to my cycle phases. And whatever is out of sync with my cycle phases, I'm turning up the volume on my self-care that particular day or that particular week to make sure that I'm maintaining my energy consistently. That's good. And you know, for example, I have a largely female team at Flow Living and people always ask me, well, how do you guys, you know, use this as a company? And do you all have to be on the same phase of your cycle? And the answer is no. And that would be a huge disadvantage if we were all in the same phase, for example, in a meeting. So here's a here's how I like to describe it. Um, I usually schedule planning meetings, strategic planning meetings when I'm in my follicular phase because hormonally that's when my brain is optimized around new ideas and creative whatever. So I schedule that meeting according to my optimal phase and then I bank on the fact that other women in my team will be in different phases and I will, because I'm in my creative zone, say, let's this quarter do five new projects. And my marketing director will, who will maybe be in her menstrual phase where her right and left hemispheres of her brain are communicating in a way that has her processing facts and emotions in a different way than me will say, gee, Elisa, you know, last quarter when we when we all agreed to do those five projects or another set of five projects, that didn't work out so well. Why don't we just figure out which two we can really chew off and accomplish this month uh, or this quarter? And then I'll say, you know what, you're right. I'm so glad you brought that to this meeting because if I was left unbridled with my follicular energy, we'd have five projects to, to chew off for three months, right? And then let's say my operations director is in her luteal phase. She'll be like, great, I'm going to like map this out and delegate it to the team. And da, da, da. So everybody brings their own skills that are the gifts of that particular phase without describe, like nobody has to say, oh, I'm in my follicular phase or I'm in my ovulatory phase. They're just aware of it and they're consciously making sure that they're representing the, the values that can come from that phase in the meeting. And as a result, the, our ship gets steered much more efficiently throughout the quarters and throughout the years because of that. That makes a lot of sense. Is there any truth to the fact that women's cycles sync up when they spend I, a lot of time together? Uh, th there is equal research that shows that it can happen and that it never is going to happen. And so I think it's really just kind of a fluke. I think that that was much more likely to have happened prior to women um, living in an environment with artificial lighting. Yeah. So prior to Thomas Edison, when we were really just exposed to moonlight and sunlight, our pineal glands um, and our, in, you know, would have only been stimulated by sunlight and moonlight, which would have affected our two clocks, right? The circadian clock would have been stimulated by sunlight and the infradian clock as well. So we would have had more opportunities to synchronize with 
each other because we would have all been in a little community exposed to that same light and dark cycle. Yeah, very interesting. So there's a lot of talk, um, you know, on social media these days, and obviously in books and things like that. And I think it's a, I think it's a net positive thing. But diets and dietary, you know, protocols like keto and intermittent fasting and things like that. You know, a lot of these diets, and I've talked about this in the past. A lot of the research on them is primarily in animals. Most of the time, the the animals are male animals, uh, and then when they make the leap over to clinical trials, they're done you know, many of the trials are performed in men because we don't, I guess we're simpler to study huh, than women, right? It's a, it's a big, it's a big, yeah, I mean, I'll own up to You're that. simpler biological we're, construct. We're, we're simpler in many ways. Um, so what are your but thoughts? Delightful, but totally delightful. Totally delightful. Uh, <laughs> totally delightful. What are my thoughts? Well, it's not about my thoughts or not. My, my It's really just about the facts. And yeah. that's really what I'm excited about in this book is this really, it's just fact after fact that really tells its own story. And the facts are that we have a historical lack of women in research. Um, in 1995, the National Institute of Health um, put out a special like committee to address the fact that there was not enough uh, women in human medical trials that, um, you know, was posing a, a serious threat to women being given the right doses of medication, um, all of these things very, and, and as of, um, 2016, um, the BWC women's health, um, uh, collective, uh, found that there was still not enough progress that had been made. So we're still kind of in the same boat. Progress is pain going painfully slow. Um, we haven't been included because of a drug trial that people may remember from the 60s, thalidomide, um, which caused a lot of um, terrible side effects on unborn children and birth defects. And so women in reproductive years were basically exiled from studies. And so what we have are any studies that are done in medicine, fitness and nutrition are done on men and postmenopausal women. So that's one fact. Another fact is that, that that research that's like, oh, intermittent fasting is good for you and has all of these amazing side effects is only applicable to men and postmenopausal women, but it is being marketed to, right, being reported to women in their reproductive years as universally applicable. So we're making a, a huge jump. We're saying what's good for the gander is good for the goose. But what the truth is, is that it's not. Um, in fact, I go into great detail mapping out in the food chapter of the book all the different trendy diets that we have, intermittent fasting, keto, paleo, macrobiotic, vegan, all of them. I lay them all out. And I talk specifically about the research that has come out to show why these diets are contraindicated, not just like not a good idea, but like will disturb your infradian rhythm, mess with your six biological systems, can make you infertile. Uh, th th it's really serious. And I want women to know that if you're not eating a diet that is supporting your infradian clock, you will disrupt your reproductive system. You will disrupt your microbiome. You will disrupt your metabolism. You will disrupt your stress response system. You will, you will make your whole body perform 
suboptimally, and you will then start to feel sick in various different ways. And that's why I said at the beginning of our conversation, there's all this wellness everywhere, but women are sicker than ever before. It's because they're using diets and fitness plans that have been done that are appropriate for men and the research that was done on their biological systems. But what we're finding in doing the little bits of research that we can do on women is that actually has the opposite effect in many cases. Now, are certain diets better for women given, you know, a certain phase of the month or are they, you know, because I feel like I recall from your talk that, you know, keto is maybe appropriate for if you choose to do keto for a certain phase, whereas it might be less so for a different phase or is it? I love that you remember that. You have such a good memory. Um, so eating, eating my yes. genius foods. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> so yes. So obviously the diet that, um, you know, obviously this book describes the optimal diet that a woman would be having, um, in the, you know, in the first section of the book, we just really talk a lot about the infradian rhythm and what it is and what you need to know about it. But the second section of this book is really all about how do you eat and move and organize your time according to this infradian rhythm. So there is an optimized diet that's described for you specific foods that are there for each of the four phases to optimize both hormonal production and hormonal metabolism. Um, because, you know, excess levels of circulating estrogen are going to cause all sorts of negative side effects as well as not enough. So we want to find that Goldilocks zone of hormones and food is a really critical input for that. Um, one of the things that you can do just to even get a quick sense of, you know, how you could cycle through the different dietary trends is, you know, change them up during the different phases. So I always say for the ovulatory phase, you can be raw vegan during that week, right? That's the best time for you to do that. During the luteal phase, you could be more macrobiotic. During the menstrual phase, you could be more paleo, keto, right? High proteins and fats. And during the follicular phase, you could do more extensions with intermittent fasting. But you can't drag the intermittent fasting into different phases. It has to be bound to that particular phase because once you move to the different phase, your, meta your metabolic needs, your caloric needs have shifted and anything that you do that is going to start stressing that out or not provide enough nourishment for that phase will start to jack up cortisol and, you know, steal from progesterone, disrupt ovulation and, you know, Bob's your uncle, you're back down to PMS and moodiness and all the things you don't want. And so it's just not worth it. So there really is for women only one real way to biohack. And it isn't about, um, trying to compensate for like not enough energy. And I love sharing the differences between biohacking for men and women, because I do think that this conversation, just like medicine is becoming more bio-individualistic, I think biohacking must be a little bit more uh, gender sensitive because your gender determines a lot about how your biology is performing. And if you're trying to optimize your biology, you need to take that into consideration. It's only good logic. But again, we're saying like, oh, all biohacking is created equal for all genders. And I just, you know, looking at the research, don't see how that can be true, um, first and foremost. And then secondly, uh, when it comes to male hormonal patterns, right, because you guys go through this 24-hour cycle um, your energy does decline quite a bit in the afternoon, which is why you want to do something to compensate for that energy dip 
and extend your energy in that 24 hour day because it's rinse and repeat every single day, right? So you're using things like certain types of caffeine or nootropics or adaptogens to help you even out the energy since testosterone and cortisol are gonna take a natural dip. What can you do with adaptogens, et cetera, caffeine to boost energy levels or even dietary things like intermittent fasting to, to extend your energy reserves later in the day? Women don't have the same problem um, because we have a different clock running our energy throughout the month. So it isn't so much that we have to compensate, it's that we have to nourish. And what that's what I love about the, the cycle thinking method is you're eating to nourish your infradian clock, you're exercising to nourish your infradian clock, and if you do it according to the, your phases, you have stable energy throughout the month, energy to burn, as opposed to what women typically experience because they're not nourishing this, these phases and this clock. They feel good for like 10 to 12 days out of the month, and then, then they fall off that energy cliff for two weeks, and they feel, you know, cranky, brain foggy, um, moody, you know, not in their creative zone, not as social, all these things that are completely unnecessary um, as far as symptoms are concerned if they were to really stabilize their energy. And the NIH put out a study back in 1995 called the BioCycle Study that shows that your PMS is no laughing matter. And I know that this is something um, that we've talked about before because um, dementia is something that happens more often in women. And when I think, again, where are these root causes because it starts, it's not an overnight process, um, I think that, the, and the study showed, the biocycle study showed that PMS untreated can lead to these four big diseases of inflammation postmenopausally, including dementia. And I think that there's a huge connection to the fact that we just haven't known that we've needed to take care of this. We haven't known that we've needed to take care of our infradian clock, to eat differently, to exercise differently in these different phases of our cycle, and it's a huge disadvantage and one that we have to correct. It's like, here are the new facts, let's just all correct what we're doing because that's what our bodies need. And a lot of these issues won't be issues. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But I'm a little confused. Don't don't women also have the circadian rhythm to contend with as well? I mean, there's a they're subject to diurnal hormone influence as well. Am I am I just cortisol? Wrong? Just cortisol, right? Hmm. So our, so we're we don't, for example, we don't produce all of our testosterone in the middle of the night while we're sleeping, right? Mm. Our testosterone patterns are are according to our infradian rhythm. Our estrogen patterns are infradian related. So um, our cortisol is really the only thing that fluctuates on that 24 hour clock. Um, and it also is affected by our infradian clock. So we have both of those. So we have a slightly more naturally elevated cortisol levels in the second half of our cycle to contend with than we do in the first half of our cycle. So we have to compensate for that again with diet and exercise, which I outline in the book. So it, we, we are, we have two clocks running. We do. And that's why it's so important to take care of um, our clocks properly because they really, just as we know, as I said earlier, the circadian clock is so critical to maintaining your health and preventing disease. Um, you have to be, in addition, for these 40 years that you also have the infradian clock, 
taking care of that one as well. Um, and I have found that when you take care of the infradian clock, many of the problems that women associate with their circadian dysfunction, like for example, insomnia at certain times of the cycle, those go away and you have an easier time um, with a normal circadian pattern that supports your energy. But um, you don't have as much of the energy dips in the afternoon, again, if you're supporting your infradian clock. All right, so let's talk a little bit about intermittent fasting. Um, you know, there's sort of like the pop zeitgeist version of intermittent fasting, and then there's what the sort of research is now studying in regards to time-restricted eating. Um, what is your take on this? I mean, you've kind of alluded to it in the past, uh, you know, over the over the course of the conversation, but what's your take on it? I mean, is it is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What's the method that you, you know, choose to, to, to practice if if you even practice it? So, I mean, there's no question that intermittent fasting provides a lot of benefits. I think it's just about, again, that bio-individuality, who's using it and at what stage of their life. And, and I don't have any absolutes. I'm very anti-dogmatic when it comes to diet. I think it's really about what's right for your, um, your organism in any given time, you know, and I think that's really should be the driving factor when you're making decisions is really what's, what is the right thing for you. Um, clearly the advantages of intermittent fasting are weight loss and, uh, in, enhanced insulin sensitivity and improved cognitive function is all wonderful stuff. Um, but from a hormonal point of view, um, it, it takes a toll on your hormonal system, uh, you know, in a number of ways. So, um, for example, IF can cause adverse effects in people with blood sugar issues. Um, fasting can cause blood sugar to plummet, um, and feasting will cause it to spike. And if you are somebody with PCOS, if you're somebody with, um, any sort of, you know, hormonal sensitivity, that insulin shift is going to negatively affect your cycle, right? And your fertility. So that's not something that we want to see. Um, uh, you know, another thing is that a study in 2005 in obesity research, concluded that intermittent fasting um, enhanced insulin sensitivity in men, but worsened it in women. Mm. Um, and I think that that's really interesting information, right? Because we just need to figure out what's right for us, and it just depends on who you are. Um, uh, a 2013 study on intermittent fasting in rats found that females experienced a reduction in the size of their ovaries from intermittent fasting. They stopped ovulating and then they had sleep problems. So it then also infect, affected their circadian clock. And the bad news keeps getting worse. Um, in 2018, researchers found that fasting for two days caused moderate stress in overweight women. Um, and even Mark Sisson from the Keto Reset Diet, he talks about how that compared with men, um, premenopausal, meaning women in their reproductive years, um, are, are very likely to have poor or if not just very different experiences with intermittent fasting as a weight loss tool. Um, and in my opinion, what I personally use, what I've recommended to women for years, the only safe fasting schedule that's also effective 
in your reproductive years is that 12-hour fasting period, you know, between dinner and breakfast. So let's say like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. You still get all the benefits. Um, but once you cross the threshold after that 12-hour window, then you can start to d have all these negative side effects. So that's a really safe way to do it. It's an easy way to do it because you're, you know, nighttime, bedtime. Um, and you get all the benefits without any of the negative side effects that have been documented for women in their reproductive years. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's fasting because they want negative effects from it. I think people are doing it because of the proposed benefits of it. So, I mean, like, but... From the standpoint of female sex hormones, when when do they want us to be eating all day, like from the moment we wake up until the minute we go to bed? Or is there still like probably no, not no. smart to eat for two to three hours before bed? Um, you know, what? there's been a number of studies. I think uh, the one that comes to mind was published. It was run out of Spain where they found that women who um, ate sort of earlier dinners, it was like an early time-restricted feeding paradigm, had reduced risk for breast cancer, um, both new onset, but then also recurrence, um, which I think and is that was that reproductive years or postmenopausal years? That's a good question. I don't. I don't, I don't because recall. Because in po because because postmenopausal, mm -hmm. then all the same research that shows that intermittent fasting is great for men yeah. is excellent for you as a postmenopausal female. So mm. as soon as you're done with your bleed and you're, you've had a year between your last bleed and you are now officially postmenopausal, you can do the extended, intensive intermittent fasting that shows all the wonderful benefits because then all of the side effects that are uh, documented for women in their reproductive years are a moot point. It's not going to affect your fertility. It's not going to make you more, um, it's not going it, to, it's not going to cause all of these issues that we just went into detail about. It's really, again, about where are, is the infradian clock active or not? Yeah. And if it is, intermittent fasting has to be done just for a 12 hour window at night. Got it. Um, but then after, if you're postmenopausal, you can do it. M more is better. Got it. So, but then, so then the question is, is a 12 hour fast better than a, than no fast? Like, are you, st are, do you make the recommendation that women should fast for, for 12 hours and then eat the other 12 hours? Cause most people so are, most people are eating for, most people are fasting only eight hours a day. Your average person is eating, you know, it's the eight hours that they're asleep that they're not eating. And then they're eating for 16 hours a day. So is, do you make the recommendation for a 12 hour fast for premenopausal women? The, the research shows that that is ideal to okay. do if you're, if you're going to get some of the benefits from intermittent fasting during your reproductive years, that giving yourself a 12-hour fast day at night, um, you know, so having a restricted, like you're done with dinner at 7 and then you don't eat again till breakfast, that's very, very good for your health and that does not negatively affect your hormonal cycle or your fertility. Got it. Love it, all, it. Ev everything becomes enhanced. So you can do it every day. And then just to make sure that we clarify this, because you're like, are they, are they, are you then eating all day long? <laughs> no, <laughs> you're then not, you're not grazing for 12 hours. You have to still eat to support, um, your blood sugar throughout the day and making sure that you're eating meals that really support insulin stability and glucose. Um, you know, you don't want to overload your body with glucose. And as you go through the different foods in the food chart, um, throughout the cycle, you'll see just how much that really shifts throughout the cycle. You do need to eat more complex carbohydrates in the luteal phase, for example, because you have a huge calorie shift 
in terms of metabolic requirements uh, in that phase. And if you don't eat enough proactively complex carbohydrates, you then start to destabilize your glucose, your insulin, your moods, every cortisol, and it, then you have all the opposite right? So actually in that time period, it's beneficial to front load the diet with more complex carbohydrates and not in the other phases of the cycle. So it's all by design to optimize hormonal production. Um, and this is what the body requires biologically during the reproductive years. I love the specificity. So cool. Um, there's a, so during the luteal phase, your meta, your basal metabolic rate actually increases because I, you know, there's a lot of talk in the fitness community about calorie counting and all this stuff. And there's a lot of women who are obviously body conscious. And, um, and so when people calculate the, their caloric requirements, for example, women need to take into account the fact that their basal metabolic rate is actually going to increase during a, a significant portion of the month. Yeah, I would say the largest portion of the month hmm. is one in which you need. And, and we know that women struggle the most with this. This is the, the time of the month because women don't know this information, right? It's not part of our cultural narrative, which I hope that it now will be, um, is that we continue to restrict, right? Because, you know, we all believe that a healthy diet is essentially like low calorie, low everything. But when you hit that luteal phase and your body needs major amounts of macro and micronutrients to do its hormonal job, um, if it's not getting them, it's going to kick off a whole series of ghrelin, you know, <laughs> secretions, and yeah. you are going to crave things that you, sh you know, that are going to give you instant glucose bumps, but aren't going to be in your best nutritional interest. And so instead of hoping that you don't have a craving for potato chips, eat a sweet potato, Eat it for breakfast, you know, eat it with lunch, eat it as a snack, eat it several times throughout the day with a good quality fat so that you are keeping your blood sugar even keel with the minimal amount of caloric expansion, right? You don't have to have seven sweet potatoes. You can have half a sweet potato with a good amount of fat and that will do you, right? And if you have that a couple times a day, if that's how much you need, depending on your BMI and all sorts of other individual factors, you will not be caught later in the day exhausted, insulin swinging all day long, and then eating an entire bag of chips or Oreos, which is far worse, right? If you're, if you're making the mental trade-off of like, well, gee, I just really want to eat salads. I really want to try willpower, willpower my way through this phase because I'm worried that I'm going to gain weight. And then three or four nights out of your luteal phase, you're like, binge eating junk food, obviously that is not a logical mathematical equation, right? In any sense, you're, you're going to do more harm than good. And instead of restricting where it absolutely makes no sense to do it metabolically, give your body what it needs nutritionally and you will not have cravings, you will not be binge eating, and you will lose more weight faster, right? And people forget often that I've lost 60 pounds twice. The first time when I had a hormonal imbalance that, you know, my PCOS originally in my early 20s, um, I tried everything. You know, I tried all the restrictive diets and the calorie reduction and the low this and the low fat and the low carb and the da da da. And nothing happened. There was no delta in my weight. I was over 200 pounds. Wow. And and then when I understood the science of my infradian rhythm, I was like, oh, this is way different than everything I have heard about diet and fitness and weight loss. And I just started doing that. And without restriction, killing myself at the gym, I like lost all this weight. And I've kept it off for 20 years. I gained, 
I don't know, 40 or 50 pounds with my pregnancy, also did not do anything crazy afterwards, lost all that weight. And so just working with these hormonal patterns, giving them what they need, it's remarkable. It's just like so much easier than we've been told. And of course, because we've been told information that isn't applicable to our biological reality. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, what are some other, we don't have that much time left, but any other startling findings uh, that you uncover in the new book? I mean, I know that you, all of you guys listening should go and pick it up. Um, if you've got a, a, if you are a lady, if you've got a lady in your life, uh, definitely, definitely grab it. Elisa is obviously a wealth of knowledge. Um, but what about, you know, I know you mentioned you have a whole chapter on the birth control pill, which I've covered in a previous episode of the show, but do you talk at all about like endocrine disrupting compounds or, uh, you know, specific foods that, um, you know, all women should be avoiding things like that, or even foods that, that we should all be including, like, you know, your equivalent of like genius foods, superfoods. Well, there's, so the book is um, filled with a few key charts. So there's the food flow chart. So you get exactly which foods you should be eating in which phase, and you can take it to the grocery store. There's also recipes and meal plans in the back of the book as well. Um, there's the um, fitness flow charts, so you know, which workouts to schedule at which phase of the month. There's the um, uh, the time management, the daily flow chart, like how do you organize your time and how do you work according to your infradian clock? Um, there's a workflow chart so you can figure out what to do with work projects in your corporate environment as an entrepreneur. There is, um, the love flow chart because this you absolutely better believe has impact on your sex life your potential for orgasm like can i just say over 60 percent of women are sexually unsatisfied and a huge reason for why that is max is because they don't know how their infradian clock is affecting their sexual response and when they need lube when they don't when they need more foreplay when they need less what they need when and if they don't know they're certainly not knowing how to give it to themselves and they certainly can't empower their partner to know what the magic recipe is that particular night or day for when it's time to have pleasure well that's great because i was going to say it, it, it takes the blame off of us at least a little bit of it anyway well, that's one of the reasons why I think so many men love the partner sync feature in the MyFlow app and who are already like pre-ordering this book for themselves and their partners because just the sex and relationships chapter alone is something that is hugely valuable for men and women and women and women in same-sex relationships to understand about each other because just because you want to opt, like, of course it makes sense. You want to optimize your own health and figure out how to optimize your life around your infradian clock. But then once you have that down, you want to start to leverage this at work, in relationships, in your sex life. And then surprise to me, although it shouldn't have been a surprise, I've been able to leverage this as a mom. It makes motherhood so much easier. You can do more without putting that pressure of being the perfect mom on yourself uh, anymore because you change your maternal focus uh, and, and, and emotional modeling throughout the cycle. And you teach your children a lot of great skills as a result. Um, so that's a whole other conversation for maybe another podcast. <laughs> but uh, I, I love that um, the book has so much practical, like, um, here's what you do when. There's no guessing. It's like, oh, I, I'm going to just consult a chart and I'll know exactly what to do, what to eat, which one, to, which workout to do which foreplay type we're going to have tonight. It's all mapped out so you can Jeez. just start to feel the way you're supposed to feel, which is awesome all the time. 
Makes me feel Period. like Period. Condescended. Me- <laughs> and then, yes, of course, of course, there's a whole special section of the book, the biohacking, um, the little section that we have for women who's, who may be listening and say, gee, I really want to do this, but um, they may have been like myself where they had uh, they have PCOS or they have major hormonal issues, um, adrenal hyperplasia, or they're dealing with infertility or their cycle is off. Um, for various reasons, because let's face it, um, as I wrote about in my first book, Woman Code, which is the book that helps women with menstrual issues fix them naturally, um, it's not easy for women and their hormones these days because of all the endocrine disruptors. Um, Most women, like I said in the beginning, over 50% of women struggle with a hormonal issue. So if you want to take advantage of your infradian clock, but your reproductive system is wonky, um, there's a lot of information about what you can do um, per condition. It all It's very in-depth. And, and there are bonus guides you can download that are listed in the book for free. So if you have endometriosis, you can get a special report just on that to help you even further. Um, and then, yes, about the pill, because you did ask about that. Um, there's a whole chapter on the pill. And what you need to know, but the long and short and the startling fact about that uh, finding about that is that fundamentally these chemicals, these synthetic hormones change your brain chemistry profoundly and they you are not the you are not you the way that you were before you take this medication. And it's something that you need to know because it affects absolutely everything about your life, right? And so um, I think that, and then another thing that women don't seem to fully understand because they're being a little bit misled purposefully is that when you're on synthetic birth control, you do not have a cycle at all. You have a breakthrough bleed, although that is that was architected after the fact. So when the pill was initially introduced, there was you just take continuous synthetic hormones and you'd stopped bleeding altogether. And women found that very unsettling. And so from a marketing point of view, they just added five days of of sugar pills. So you're still in the habit of taking them every day. But those five days, you'll have a breakthrough bleed if that. Some women do, some women don't. But you are having zero of a cycle. Like there's no, you're in kind of this like no phase, no cycle zone. Um, You don't get any of the benefits, any of the gifts of these, um, of the infradian rhythms impact on your reproductive cycle. It definitely uh, affects your brain system. It absolutely affects your metabolism and not in beneficial ways. And just to give some perspective on this, um, there was a synthetic hormone uh, birth control developed for men. And there was a small study that was done, this was just a few years ago, And after about two weeks, men were experiencing all the same side effects that women experienced, mood destabilization, sex drive destabilization, weight changes, et cetera. Um, And they all quit and they were like shocked and and like, you know, just indignant that that anybody would ask them to, to use synthetic hormones that would cause these types of side effects. And the researchers said there's absolutely no way that we could continue with these side effects. It's just unfair to the men in the study and that they would ever be asked to do that. And that's ironic because women have been burdened with these side effects and more for decades without being given all the information about their their very serious side effects. And so, yes, I go into it in, 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 in detail for that's, women to just have that right information. 
That's amazing. I remember being in college and and uh, desperately wanting there to be the option of a male birth control pill because that was one of my biggest yeah. fears was knocking somebody up in college. Yeah. And uh, but now, I mean, this, yeah, I would never, yeah. I would never. No, and and it, by the way, and that's the other thing. I go into like what forms of birth control can you use because you know the fact of the matter is it's very there's a very tiny window of time where where a pregnancy could occur each month, and so this this panic that we have is really bred out of our uh, cultural cultural blind spot for what actually happens with a women a woman's cycle. Um, and it's just, it's such a tiny window that if we just understood where we are in our cycle and, and we have partners that are working with us, you know, cyclically, like my husband, you know, could teach a class at least somewhat on how to cycle sync, um, you know, from a male point of view, uh, that it, it makes it so much easier. It's really not a big deal. And now with all the, um, wonderful biotech that's available with tracking devices and things, this is like, you don't have to be a a basal body temperature mathematician, you can just wear a device and it can tell you when you're ovulating and then you can use just double barrier methods that day. Um, it's very, very straightforward. It's not so complicated. How many days of the month are there where a woman can actually, a premenopausal woman can actually get pregnant? The egg is only viable for 48 hours. It's only, a, it will only survive for 48 hours. Sperm, depending on the age of the male, but let's say they're both the same age, young, you know, 30s, 20s or 30s, the sperm can last for five days in the body, ideally, if the sperm is super, super healthy, you know, that so that means that that guy is not drinking or smoking or doing drugs or isn't obese. But if those factors are present, then it's even less, hmm. the sperm will be less viable. So then in the optimally healthy situation, then you have a seven day window where conception could take place. If you hit it, you know, where the where the egg is viable. So meaning, let's say you deposited sperm um, three days before the egg drops. Sounds very sexy uh, when you say it that yeah, way. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> it's very technical. Um, <laughs> when I help a lot of women get pregnant, we have a lot of flow babies. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, when do you deposit the sperm <laughs> and where is the egg? So we wanted to be specific. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not so... Uh, it's not something that would require a woman to shut down her entire um, hormonal cycle to deprive herself of this beautiful four decades of um, brain, metabolism, immune system, stress responsibility benefits. Um, and what's worse is that the, the oftentimes the pill is being prescribed to to deal with or in a way really not deal with an underlying menstrual disorder. And then what's what's really problematic about that is then for that entire four decades of time, that menstrual disorder is getting worse, but the woman is more, uh, let's say, desensitized by the medication to the symptoms of that disorder, that condition, the fibroids, the endo, the PCOS, whatever. Hysterectomies, and this is something that always I always like tying this work back to, you know, women's brain health, as I know it's a subject that's near and dear to your listeners and should be, frankly, to anybody. Um, hysterectomies are the most commonly performed surgical procedure on the planet, and that makes a wow. lot of sense because when you have a culture, a medical culture that does that really has no actual treatment for menstrual disorders, right? 
if you have a, had a lifetime in your reproductive years of endometriosis, the cure for that, once you are postmenopausal, is to remove the uterus. The cure for your fibroids, again, after you're done with your childbearing years, is to remove the uterus, and so on and so on. It's often prescribed as a treatment to solve this problem of, of the neglect that women experience in the medical community around their menstrual issues. And this new research, it was so new, I actually delayed the book going to printing so I could include this research in the book. Just this year, 2019, and this is just the beginning of the research, more has to be done. They have found that there is a link between the uterus and memory in women. Hmm. So now we're thinking about hysterectomies being the most commonly performed surgical procedure in postmenopausal women and postmenopausal women being the larger, more vulnerable group to dementia. That is an underlying cause that we need to address and we don't need to address it by um, dealing with it at, with women in their 60s by not giving them hysterectomies, although that's a, a very good short-term place to start. We have to go back into our reproductive years in our 20s, 30s, and 40s and learn how to take care of our bodies properly, again, get in the flow, take care of your infradian clock so that you don't ever have to have a hysterectomy. I love that. So important. Well, thank you for doing the work that you do. Um, we've got uh, just one last question for you before I say we. Um, I've got one last question for you before, uh, before we have to wrap. But before we get to that, how can listeners... Uh, find your book, where is it available? And also if you can share the details of your app, because I know that your app really makes it black and white for um, women as well as their partners in terms of what phase of the month they're in, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm super proud of the app. It's the number one, it's the top paid period app on iTunes. Um, and that's uh, because women just love engaging with the content. And that is myflowtracker.com, M-Y-F-L-O tracker.com. Um, the book you can get wherever books are sold. Um, but you can find all the information and links to where you can buy that on intheflowbook.com. And of course, because you're listening to Max's podcast, if you um, want to get some of the fun bonuses, you can go to intheflowbook.com forward slash bonus. And we'll have some special gifts for you there. Amazing. Thank you, Elisa. Well, uh, what? So the last question is to take it wherever you'd like. It's a it's sort of a philosophical question. But what does it mean to mm. you to live a genius life? What does the genius life mean to you? What's your take? To me, it's about using the information that we have on hand to just live to feel better and to live smarter. And for me as a woman, that really means living in the flow with my infradian clock while it's active. Um, you know, it won't be active forever. And while it is active, I want to optimize myself for that. And it's been a really great experience doing that so far. So I, that's what it means to me. Do you know where the, I'm surprised I didn't ask you this earlier, but where the word infradian comes from? Like, what is that? Is there a meaning? We, well, like a it all, derivation yeah so there's like circadian which has circa around uh the day diurnal yeah. uh infradian is longer than a day we have ultradian shorter than a day we have all sorts of but basically it's around the day wow. either longer or shorter than but yeah it's all greek greek and latin greek and latin i love it well thank you so much this was a real pleasure and um i'm sure that my listeners are going to get a ton out of this episode so thank you for dropping knowledge bombs left and right i really appreciate it 
And to uh, all you guys out there in podcast land, take a moment to spread this episode of the show. Share the work that um, Elise is doing. Pick up her new book, In the Flow. I highly recommend it. I've seen her speak, and I know what she's about. It's a good one. And I will catch you on the next episode. Peace.